Last week, we really broke down what anxiety is, how it begins with our thoughts, transitions to our emotions, ultimately leads to a desire that causes a sinful choice. Now, we're going to expand on that tonight, but we're really going to shift gears a little bit and look at the root of anxiety itself. What is anxiety at its core? What kind of sin issue is it that we're really dealing with? And then I'm going to give you some practical steps from the word of how to overcome it in your life. Now, I want to start with an exercise. So go ahead and find your notes. What I want to do is I want to start off by giving you something here. In your notes, you can use your phone, you can use whatever it is that you want to. I want you to make a list, number it one to 10. Make a list, number it one to 10, if you will. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. 10. In case you didn't know. Never know, I went to Bartlett, so. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. 10. And before I give you the exercise, I want to put this quote on the screen. <clears throat> This quote says this, our lives are always moving in the direction of our strongest thoughts. In 10 years, we will each look in a mirror and someone will stare back. That person will be shaped by the thoughts of today. Isn't that good? You can imagine 10 years from now, looking in the mirror, seeing face to face who you are and knowing that that person was shaped by the thoughts of today. So here's what I want to do. I want you to take a moment and I want you to write down the 10 things you think about the most. I want you to identify. Now, this may be a person, right? Like Daniel, I think about my boo all the time. The boo, my boo is the number one on my list. It's Valentine's Day. I've been thinking about him all day. It's number one on my list. Areas of your life, your job, your school, Homework, maybe, hey, Daniel, homework's number one for me. I think about it a lot. Family, whatever it is, I want you to make your list. Doesn't necessarily have to be in order. That's up to you, however you want to do it. But the top 10 things that you think about the most. And let me tell you this, as you're writing, just keep on writing. You don't have to look up at me. Be honest. You're not bringing this up here to turn it in. I'm not grading it. I don't have that kind of time. (laughs) There'll be a lot of papers. God bless you. You're not turning it in. Nobody else is looking at it. This is for you. There's no benefit in lying. There's no benefit in, if you know there's something you spend a lot of time thinking about, but you're going to kind of leave it off the list because you don't really want to put it on there. There's no benefit to you. Now, once you have your list, somebody like Daniel, I only have three. Chill. (laughs) Once you have your list, I want you to look at it for a moment and tell me what does your list say about you? (laughs) Some of y'all are like, all right, (laughs) this is too much for me. This is already a little, Daniel, you're kind of, you're invading my space. Relax. Can you imagine if I call somebody up here to evaluate the list without telling them, Haley, can you imagine? Come on, Nelly. let's take a look. <laughs> said, no shot. Just kidding, I promised I wouldn't. Look at your list, tell me, what does your list say about you? Because I have a few questions, but before that, I want to make a statement to you. As clearly as I can say, whatever your mind, God bless you. Jeez. Whatever your mind dwells on, that is what your life is built on. Whatever your mind dwells on, that is what your life is built on. So if somebody, unbiased, looked at your list, what would they say your list is built on? These are just questions. I'm just asking questions. I haven't started preaching yet. I'm just asking questions. Now, I have a few questions about your list. Question number one, and I want you to really think about this. Question number one, is your list all about you. Let's be honest for a moment with ourselves. Is your list all about you? Meaning sometimes we evaluate our thoughts and we realize we kind of worship ourselves to a certain degree, right? Like we think about other things other than ourselves, but we kind of think about them in regards to how they can benefit us, right? 
right? I'll give you an example. Like we go, we get our car fixed, right? You car trouble. I think about car trouble all the time. We go take our car to the garage to get it fixed to the shop. And we think about how that car shop can fix our car, but we never really think about how there's a soul there who could benefit from hearing the gospel from me. So I'm gonna think about that person and try to share with them, right? You see where this is going, Lindsay, a little bit? Like car shop, I gotta get my car fixed. I'm gonna get in, I'm gonna get out. Whereas I imagine Jesus, which of course they didn't have cars, so he never found himself at a car shop. But I imagine Jesus being there He would not have just been concerned over the task he needed to get done. He would have seen the person there. But when we go to a car shop, we really don't see the person. We kind of miss that. We kind of get in and get out. So look at your list for a moment. Does your list center and revolve around you? Like, is it all about you? Here's question number two. Is your list spiritual? We're just gonna ask a lot of questions tonight. Is your list spiritual? And I mean, I told you, be honest, man. So I hope you wrote Jesus on there, right? That's that's an A plus answer. But is your list spiritual? earthly or heavenly? Does your list, is it consumed with like this world and the things that we have going on and the good things, but is your list concerned with the things above and not just the things of this earth? Like Colossians 3.2 tells us, set your mind on things above, not on things of this earth. So is your list concerned at all with the spiritual realm? Do you think about prayer? Do you think about the word? Do you think about souls around you at a car shop, at McDonald's, at cookout? who are dying and going to hell that don't know Jesus, do you think about those people? Do they ever come up in your mind? I just want to ask you questions. I'm not preaching it yet at all, I promise. I just want to ask the right questions. Does your mind think so much about what God could do for you instead of stepping back to say, hey, how can I serve God today? Your mind, what does it think about? And then here's, here's question number three. For the people on your list, Do your thoughts center on how they can serve and love you or are your thoughts about them on how you can love and serve them? Right, because we definitely have people on our list. I have my wife on my list, right? Hannah is on there, number two, right behind the Lord, of course. She's number two where she's got to be. But do my thoughts, when I think about my wife, when you think about the people in your life, your loved ones, is it all about what they can do for you or what they think of you or how they perceive you or is it about, hey, how can I love them with the love of Christ more? Big difference, big difference. So look at your list, keep this list. Think about it, I'm gonna have some more questions in a moment, but think about it. Here's one quote that I wanna put on the screen. I have a lot of them tonight. It says, no human is ever meant to be the person who fills our souls or holds in place our worth. Only God can do that. But until I throw off the lie that God's love isn't for me, my emotions, decisions, behaviors, and relationships will remain twisted up in the mistaken belief that I'm worthless. When we begin to think about our thoughts, perhaps for the first time, we can stop the downward spiral, we can reset, we can redirect them, and that is our hope. Isn't that good? (laughs) There's no person who can do for you what only God can do for you. Now, last thing with this list, and we're going to look at 1 Peter 5. I want you to put a star by each one that you find yourself worrying over. Go ahead and take a look at it. Now, maybe you look at some of them and you're like, I never worry about this, I'm good. I never worry about working out because I'm always in the gym 24-7 no matter what. Don't have to worry about that. But if you find yourself worrying about those on your list, put a star by it. And if we're honest, some of us could put a star by God. Let's be real. When we pray, sometimes we worry over whether God is really going to answer our prayers. 
Sometimes we worry over God, God really hearing us. Sometimes we worry about God really, right, having our best interests at heart. Subconsciously, sometimes it's hard to believe that the Lord really has our best interests at heart, and that's when we start to try to take control, right? Like you could really, for some of us, put a star by God. But what do you find yourself worried about? Now, I want you to pick one that you put a star by. Maybe you're perfect. You got to figure it out. You ain't worried a day in your life. Your list is perfect. Your life is good to go. But I want you to pick one that you put a star by. What thoughts pop into your mind that cause you to worry about that subject? If it's career, identify that thought. What thought does Satan like to shoot at your mind? What thought does your flesh like to cling on to that cause you to worry about your career? Are you sitting in class at college and, and you keep on having this anxious feeling of, man, am I doing the right career? Am I doing the right major? Am I really heading towards where God wants me to go? And then those thoughts just kind of spiral out and it's like, oh man, I'm making a terrible decision. I'm not following the Lord. This is like, what are those thoughts? If it's a person, in your weak moments, do you allow thoughts to pop into your brain of, hey, this loved one doesn't really love me that much? Or this loved one really doesn't have my back. This loved one, I don't really think we're on good terms. And that thought begins to spiral and spiral and spiral. And it begins to grow just last, like we talked about last week into an emotion and a desire and a choice that causes us to sin. Ultimately, sinful thoughts will always lead to sinful choices. Sinful thoughts will always birth within us sinful choices that come from our life that then affect other people. So I encourage you with this. As we work through worrying, keep your list available tonight as we look through this because we're going to come back to it. We're going to reference it. We're going to look at it. We're going to take an in-depth look at what you're worried about and what God's word says about it. Now, tonight as we look at 1 Peter 5, we have to understand those things that you worry about in your life. At the root, and this is going to hurt, man, tonight might not be your favorite sermon, and that's okay. (laughs) At the root of your worry is pride. Let's get it out of the way. You're not going to like me tonight. That's fine. I don't, I'm mad too because it convicted me. So we're all mad. We're going to grow tonight. At the root of your worrying is pride. It's a pride issue. And 1 Peter chapter 5, when Peter's talking here, he's going to give us a great command. He's speaking to the elders right before this, and then he transitions to speak to the church as a whole. He's going to give us an exhortation as to how we are to overcome our cares and our worries and our anxieties. But at the core of it, you have to understand it's pride. Ego will often cause anxiety. When you think too highly of yourself, you'll rely on yourself as well. And so 1 Peter chapter 5, let's take a look at what he says. Look with me, if you will, at verse 6 of chapter 5. Peter says this. This is 1 Peter 5, verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you at the proper time. Let's read that again. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your cares, casting all your cares. I don't know if you underline in your Bible, that's a great part. Casting all your cares on him because he cares about you. Now, my CSB version gives two versions of care that we're gonna come back to in a little while. Some of them read, cast your anxieties, cast your worries. Right here, I have cast your cares on him because he cares about you. Verse eight, be sober-minded, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour. Verse nine, resist him, firm in the faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the world. 
The God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, look at this great promise, establish, strengthen, and support you after you have suffered a little while. To him be dominion forever. Amen. Aren't you thankful for God's word tonight? Amen. I'm telling you, amen. It's a beautiful text. It's a beautiful text. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And Lord, we know when we talk about pride and ego, when we talk about ourselves, Lord, we, we come under spiritual warfare. And Lord, right now in this place, I pray that the name of Jesus would be exalted. God, that you would remind us how much you care for us, that you care for us so much that you would send your son Jesus to the cross to die for our sins and then rise from, and, then, and then raise from the grave three days later, Lord. We, we are in awe of the love of Jesus. And so tonight, Lord, I pray that you would bind the enemy from this place in the name of Jesus the blood of Jesus, by the word of God and by the spirit of God. I pray against distractions and discouragement. Lord, I pray that you would convict, but not discourage. You never discourage, Lord, but I pray you would convict and encourage us tonight. Lord, help us die to our pride. Lord, help us to overcome worry. Help us to find freedom from our anxious thoughts. God, we love you. And Lord, I pray for anybody in here who doesn't know Jesus, that they would give their life to you tonight. And Lord, I pray right now that you would speak to our hearts. If that's your prayer tonight, would you say amen? Amen. Let's get practical. Let's break this down. Number one, tear down the idol of worrying. How many of you would love to live a life of peace and no worry? Amen? Would that not be incredible? Like, man, I'm telling you, you can find anything in the world to worry about. Can you not? Like, it is not hard to find a worry. It is not hard to stress. Like, you will find yourself stressing out, in the middle of a basketball game, in the middle of a movie theater, anywhere you are, stress and worry and anxiety hit you. And sometimes it hits you like a bullet. You don't know what to do about it. And so tonight I want to give you some practical steps as to how to overcome this. But the very first one is dying to ourselves. It's an idol of pride. All right. So let's, I know it's tough, Fernando, but let's get this out of the way. We have to dig into this. Peter says in chapter five, his very first thing is his exhortation of humble yourself. Humble yourself and come under the mighty hand of God. Now, as I've been studying this, I've had a lot of college students ask me, Daniel, how in the world is worrying prideful? I worry about good things, which is a whole other conversation we're going to get to in a little bit. Are there things that you should worry about? Not a good question. We're going to tackle that tonight. Should you worry at all? God's word deals with it. I've had college students tell me, Daniel, I don't really think worrying is prideful. I understand that. I understand that. I understand that. But when I look at scripture and when I look at 1 Peter 5, when I see the great exhortation to humble ourselves underneath, look at this visual, Lord, under the mighty right hand of God, right? This, this image of humility means you're under the right hand of God. Remember when you were a child and your mother or your father or anyone who was older than you, a babysitter, whoever it was, a mentor, a coach, would lead you and walk with you hand in hand and would kind of lead you through a park. For me, I love going to parks, man. I was a blonde-headed, little banana-headed kid. I mean, I was the life of the party. My, my parents loved me. And my Aunt Connie would take me through the park. She would hold me by her hand. And I would not stray away from her because I was held on tight to her hand. She would lead me. She dictates where we go in the park. I'm not just running rampant. She's leading me. That's the image of being humbled under the mighty hand of God. That you're not just going wherever you want to go. You're being led by somebody who's higher than you. You're underneath authority of God. That's what humility looks like. So when it comes to worrying, literally, Understand this, and let's not put this quote on, this, on the screen in a moment. I'll, I'll ask for it in a moment, but worrying is literally you taking control. Worrying is literally you saying, I'm going to think my way through this. 
I would dare be so bold to say that worrying is you taking matters into your own hands, right? So what I wrote down in my notes is this. I hope that you write it down. It is hard to stay humble under God's hand when you're taking all your problems into your own hands. It's real hard. It is real hard to find yourself humbled under God's hand if all your problems are in your hands. But quite literally, what I see college students do, what I see in my own life, is our problems are placed in our hands and we wonder why we can't fix it because we're trying to think our way through the problem. As great as your mind is, apart from the Spirit of God, you're only going to build more problems for yourself. So that's why Peter even quotes it, James does. James 4 verse 6 says this, but he gives greater grace, therefore he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I'll tell you, not only does worrying exalt self, it exalts, it exhausts the soul. Like you're doing two things when you worry. You are elevating self and exhausting the soul. It's this constant cycle of exalting self in your problems and exhausting the soul. You will find yourself so tired, so worn down, so beaten up. Worrying, quite literally, is anxious meditation. It is anxious meditation. And what I love about God's word is God's word speaks all about meditation. Did you know that? God's word speaks all about meditation. We as human beings are going to meditate one way or another. It's not a choice. The question is, what are we going to meditate on? Are we gonna meditate on the things of God or are we gonna meditate on our problems? I'll show you. Joshua 1 verse eight says this. This book of instruction must not depart from your mouth. You are to meditate on it day and night so that you may carefully observe everything written in it. For then you will prosper and succeed in whatever you do. Joshua 1 verse eight, not only that, but Isaiah, and this is a great one. This verse right here is incredible. Look at this, Isaiah 26 verse three. You will keep the mind that is dependent on you in perfect peace, for it is trusting in you. How many of you would love to experience perfect peace? (laughs) Amen? Here's the answer. Can we put it back up on the screen? Here's the answer. It's dependency on Christ. That means with your problems. That means your hands don't hold your problems because you've given them to God. He holds them now. That means God is holding on to your cares. God is holding on to your worries. God is holding on to your issues. It's you who is under the mighty right hand of God. One more, Psalm 19, verse 14 says, May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. I would be so forward with you to say, worrying is sinful meditation in the fact that you're allowing your mind to do the opposite of what's commanded in Scripture. You are meditating on the exact opposite of what you're called to meditate on. You want to know why you're tired? why you're discouraged, why you're worn down, why you don't feel filled up, why it's hard to pull up to a Bible study, why it's hard sometimes to pull up to the view, why it's hard to come to a serve team meeting, why it's hard to come to a reach team meeting, why it's hard to walk up to a guest table, why it's hard to trust God in the middle of a storm, why it's hard to trust God in the middle of a battle. You wanna know why it's hard to go share the gospel with people in your life? You wanna know why it's hard to be discouraged at home around your family? You wanna know why you feel anxious, why you feel stressed, why you feel worried? Why you feel these things? It's because ultimately you are meditating on sin and you are worrying your way through a crisis. I tell you, there is no better feeling at the end of a day than a hot shower, amen? (laughs) For I tell you, man, there nothing beat it when you put on some music, 
you take a nice hot shower, you relax, and you cool. At the end of the day, how many people are morning showers? I'm not a morning shower, actually. You guys are weird, man. Night showers, amen? And it's so much better. Why would you want to get into bed dirty? I've never understood that. <laughs> people to shower in the morning, I understand, like, you're clean for the day, man, but, like, you're getting in bed at night dirty, right? Isn't that the logic behind it? It's fine. We don't have to solve that tonight. <laughs> but if you think about it, man, I'm a night shower. I like to get in bed clean, man. And I love this. This is so <laughs> stupid, but I tell you, man, you know what happens when you stay in the shower too long? You know what happens when you go swimming and you stay in the pool too long? I love to hear the answers y'all are yelling out. Some of y'all are like, really? What's somebody say, run out of water? Yeah. <laughs> somebody's like, run out of water. I was like, yeah. Amen, Caleb. Amen. <laughs> y'all, man, like 10 different people tried to guess it. That was so funny, man. Somebody was like, you die. <laughs> that was me that said it. Here's what happens. What's crazy. You stay in the pool too long. Your fingers start to like wrinkle up. Did you yell that? Somebody get it, right? You know how that feeling? Ah, oh, Gianna, It's awful. <laughs> It's terrible. There's a name for it. You know what I'm talking about? Your, your fingers get all wrinkly and stuff. It's called pruny. Right? I Googled it, right? <laughs> you get pruny fingers. It's nasty. It's, it feels weird. You don't have the right sense. Like, it's, it's disgusting. Like, it feels weird. It's wrinkly. What it is, it's crazy, is it's, it's your body giving you a signal. Right? When your fingers begin to wrinkle up like that and, and get all pruny and, like, you can't really sense things accurately, it's your body giving you a signal that you've been marinating in water for far too long. You've been stuck in it. You need to get out. I love this, man. I told you it was stupid. It's how my mind thinks. Anxiety and worry are a signal. Hear me out for a moment. Anxiety and worry are a signal. It is literally your body telling you, hey, you have been marinating, you have been meditating on sin for far too long, and it's causing your faith to literally, like your fingers, shrivel up. It causes your faith to wrinkle up. And instead of bold, strong faith, when you sit on the marinate and just meditate on sinful thoughts, all of a sudden, just like with those fingers, man, when they're pruny, you can't accurately feel things. It feels weird. What happens with your faith when you're just sitting in worry? You cannot accurately sense the things that you need to sense and handle. Because your faith is shriveled up. But I want to tell you, you're not called to have shriveled up faith because you've been marinating on sinful thoughts. You have been called to have bold, unashamed faith that accurately knows the word of God and accurately knows how to live as a believer. And you find that by living and overcoming the worries of your life by trusting the Lord day in and day out. But we have a lot of us in the room who are meditating on sin and we can't get out of it and we don't know what to do. So I want to give you the first one. A, tear down the idol of it's all about me. There's some idols that we got to tear down in our lives that are not popular. This, is, this will never be a quote or a soundbite on social media. But tear down the idol uh, that life is all about you. Peter says it very clearly. In fact, I imagine as Peter writing his letter that he remembers when he told Jesus, I will die for you, Jesus. And Jesus turns to him and says, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. You remember that moment in Peter's life? He's like, Jesus, I will die for you. Like, I will lay down my life right now. Like, we can go to war with anybody. I'll die. And Jesus looks at him. He says, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And then that moment is chilling. Chilling. It'll hit your spine, decode. Peter denies him three times. The rooster crows. And you go back and look at it in the Gospels. When Peter hears the rooster crow, he turns and he looks. And him and Jesus make eye contact. Can you imagine Peter in this moment realizing, Jesus predicted me denying him three times, and it just happened. Pride. Hey, I'll die for you. 
And when it came time to claiming Jesus, nowhere to be found. Because Peter in that moment made life all about him. Now his exhortation is humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. So college students, I got a real wake-up call for you. I hope you'll come back next week. Life is not all about you. Life is not all about me. Things do not revolve around you or around me. And I'll take it a step further. God does not revolve around you or me. Sometimes as Christians, we're very fine being God-centered as long as we think that God is human-centered. God is not human-centered. God is God's glory-centered. That's why every time you look at the Gospels, God the Father is constantly exhorting Jesus. And every single time Jesus gets glory, Jesus does what? Hey, I just do the will of my Father. They're constantly pointing glory back to themselves. And so for you and for I, God does not revolve around you and I. It's not God who is dependent on us. It's us who are dependent on God. So you have to tear down this idol. Charles Spurgeon, I have a few quotes from him that are fantastic. One of them is this. The very essence of anxious care is the imagining that we are wiser than God. Literally, like your anxiety, when you allow it, to be sinful and harmful. It's you saying, hey, I'm wiser than God. I can think this out better than God can. And the most, if I can be honest with you, Cousins, the most convicting part, as somebody who has walked through worry and anxiety for many years, the most, and this is just real, man, this ain't, let me scoot up. This ain't anything with a sermon stuff. And I don't even really know how to say this in a clean way, a polished way. Not clean, this isn't explicit. I'm not about to cuss. I'm like, hey. View podcast has explicit versions. No. <laughs> I don't know how to say this in a polished way, and I'll just be honest with you. If you want to email me, you can. The most convicting part of studying about worrying is that we waste so much time worrying about selfish things. Here's what I'll say to you. God doesn't worry, but if he did, my fear is we are not even concerned over the things that God would be concerned about. I don't think we even worry over the things that God would worry about. That's what's been most convicting for me. If God did worry, I don't think we're worried about the same things. I think we're so worried about, number one, I got to take care of me. Because if I don't take care of me, who is? God's word says you don't have to take care of you. It's he who will take care of you. That's trust. That's faith. See, Jesus in his life was concerned and we see it play out at the woman on the well. Jesus' focus was people who were lost coming to know him. His focus was lost people getting out of darkness and being able to enter the kingdom of heaven. The reason he came was to preach the gospel, repent, repent for the kingdom of God is near. His purpose in coming was not the miracles. They helped. His purpose was to preach the gospel so that lost souls would be drawn to him. I believe we are living in a day and age where we are so worried so often, but we're not worried about lost people coming to know Jesus Christ. We don't care that much because we got to take care of number one, man. It's all about me. And what a sad life it will be if we get to the end of our row and all of our worries and all of our thoughts and all of our plans were centered around number one. Number one. One of the things I wrote down is I believe that many of us entered the church with an attitude of how is this church going to serve me today? How is this place? What is this place going to do for me today? I do. I'm guilty of it. Instead of walking in and realizing, hey, I am the church. I am the church, so how am I going to serve others today? That's what a serve team's about. That's what a reach team's about. That's what a college ministry is about. 
not being served by a building, but going out and reaching the world. That is what we should be concerned about. Ultimately, our thoughts, when they're all about us, our desires will be all about us, and our choices will be all about us. That's why there are so many living in the room tonight, right here, that are living in sin and don't know what to do about it. There, there are people in this room, all of us really, but there's a lot of us in here who have a stronghold and we don't know how to get out of it and we don't really want to bad enough. Sexual immorality in this room has a stronghold on many people. And the last thing you would ever do is admit it because that's how Satan's good. When you're struggling with sexual immorality, he tells you you're the only one in it. And when you start to conquer it, he whispers, hey, everybody else is doing it. You might as well too. Isn't that crazy? Satan will use the same line. When you're finding victory over sexual temptation, he'll say, hey, everybody else is looking at pornography. Why don't you? But then once you start viewing it, he'll say, oh, you're the only one watching it. You're the only one living in it. You're not. And that stronghold in your life can be broken. Is it greed? Is it money? Man, some of us grew up watching our parents fight about money 24-7, and we think that's how it's supposed to be. I'm just always gonna be stressed about, war, about money. I'm always gonna be anxious about money. I can't cast that to God. I'll give God everything else. I'll give God everything else. But when it comes to money, that's me. I've gotta own that. Is it a relationship? I can't tell you how many constants I've talked to, and I'm like, happy Valentine's Day, and they're like, yeah, for you, you're married. <laughs> and this is what I tell them. I loved Valentine's Day when I was single, and I mean it. I walked around Southwest Community College wearing red, saying happy Valentine's Day to everybody, single as a goose. <laughs> when nobody in my DMs, not a person in my DMs, single, loved it. Because Valentine's Day ain't just about a person, it's about love, and I love love. <laughs> so I'm going to celebrate it. But I can't tell you how many college students I come in contact with who worry and stress over finding a relationship because they don't really believe God's good enough to be enough on his own. I mean, oh yeah, I believe God is sufficient to take me to heaven one day when I die, but he better give me a boo. (laughs) And so this idol takes over our lives. Let's talk about the flip side of it, though. I've seen many college students who are in relationships, and they, boy, they idol that person they're dating. They place them up on a platform, up on an elevated stanchion to where... They're demanding that person to provide to them what only God can give them. And we worry and we stress and we get anxious over it and it consumes us and it begins. Now, it's not just pornography. It's not just sexual, sexual morality that we, we think strongholds. It's validation. For some of us in the room, validation is a stronghold. Like for some of us, let's be real, it doesn't matter what God's word says about me. I need validation from other people and if I don't get it, I'm gonna have a panic attack. That's a stronghold. Approval of man, that's a stronghold. And through God's Holy Spirit, you can break free through that. Through the power of God, you can overcome that stronghold. Whatever it is, if it's pride, you can overcome it. You're not the only one living in that sin. But I believe you're here tonight because God is calling you out of it. He's calling you to repent. It's not popular. But the only way to overcome that is to repent. You gotta be broken enough over sexual morality. You gotta be broken enough over validation. You gotta be broken. Like to the point where you're like, man, I, I can't. The only thing I know to do is cry out to God for help. But guess what? If the only thing you do is cry out to God for help, that's a really, really good start. <laughs> Would you cry out tonight? 
That's why we're here. We're not just here for a great photo booth for Valentine's Day. We're here because God is calling us to repent. And what? watch, when you repent, you are restored by God. There is restoration that always comes after repentance. Always. So I don't know what it is for you tonight. I don't know what you wrote on your list. I don't know what, what, what star you put. But I want to tell you there's freedom. There's freedom. And it's found in Jesus Christ. I got to keep going. If you are struggling with a stronghold tonight, please do not leave this place without talking to somebody. Wouldn't it be a shame to come to a college ministry worship service with a stronghold and walk out carrying it too and not talk to anybody? I've been there. Please, I'm begging you, talk to somebody about it. Not only is Peter's exhortation here, cast your worries to God because he cares for you. Let's go back to Jesus' teaching. Look at this, Matthew 6, 25 to 26. Pivotal, but we actually didn't quote it last week. Here it is this week. Therefore, I tell you, you know this text, but I wanna point something out to you. Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, or your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? What I love is verse 26. It says, consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow, they don't reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly father feeds them. This is Jesus. And he says, aren't you worth more than they? Jesus is saying, God cares for the birds. God takes care of the birds. The birds don't have anxiety. The birds don't have worries. The birds are not concerned. They're taken care of. It's kind of like this. Do you really believe that God would care for birds and not care for you? Are you really buying that lie tonight? How low of a perspective do you have of the care that God offers? Because I believe we have a lot of college students who are very, very low. So my action step is not just die to yourself. It's bigger than that. It's far bigger than that, Faith. It's bigger than just me telling you to die to yourself. My action step for you with worrying over number one over you is this. Do you really know? Do you really know how much God cares for you? Because if you can't stop worrying and stressing over your life and over you, I would question if you know whether God really cares for you. I'll take it even further. Let's talk about our loved ones. I've had many people tell me last week and this week, Daniel, I don't worry about me. And I'm like, well, praise God. Like, but I just can't stop worrying about the people in my life. And I feel like it's a righteous worry. <laughs> and I've been there as a new believer. I remember telling our college pastor, I was like, look, I've conquered worry about myself. But I can't stop worrying about my loved ones. But I feel like God's okay with me worrying about my loved ones because it means I care for them. And my college pastor looked at me. He said, that is really stupid to say. <laughs> and I was like, it was discipleship, so it was okay. It was a safe environment. We were like, that was a really dumb statement. I was like, what do you mean? I'll explain it to you guys. For me, my dad hurt his leg two years ago. He was, my dad's watching tonight. He hurt his leg in the backyard and had to have surgery. And uh, he fixed his cars. He rides his bike. He's very active. And for me, when he hurt himself, I had just taken over as college pastor. COVID had gotten here, and I found myself worried and anxious all the time about my dad. Like, I couldn't stop worrying about my dad. Like, all I would do is just worry and worry and worry and worry and stress. And it got to the point where, like, guys, I couldn't 
read the word without my phone there because I was like, what if I get a call about my dad? I need to be ready to answer it. So I, I would have my phone. And of course, like I, I wouldn't just keep looking back and forth, like waiting on a call about my dad, but the notifications would keep popping up. And I kept getting distracted and my quiet time was suffering. And I was anxious and worried and not trusting God. And I was like, you know what? It's all right though, because I love my dad. So I'm gonna keep worrying about my dad. I think it's okay. I think it's a righteous worry. And, and as I was reading and studying over this, I know I'm not the only one who worries about loved ones. Like, I know you're in the room tonight, and I know you worry about your parents, too. I know you worry about your brothers and your sisters and your, and your people in your life and your friends, and you're worried, and you're worried, and you're anxious about people that you love. This is what God told me as I was sitting there reading the Word. It was as clear as day. I remember being convicted over it. I remember God was challenging me on it. I was anxious. I was worried. God told me to pray for him and stop worrying. I told God. I said, God, I can't. One day, me and God just duking it out. He laid it on my heart through scripture. He says, stop worrying about your dad. I said, God, I can't. That's what the Lord laid on my heart. He said, he said, yes, you can, Daniel. You may care for your dad, but I care for your dad even more than you do, so trust me with your worries. God loves your loved ones more than you love your loved ones. So when you choose to worry about them, you're saying, hey, I actually, I care about them more than you do, God, so I'm gonna take them into my own hands. Worrying about your loved ones, it's good to be concerned, it's good to care, but for some of us, it's driving us up a wall. God cares about them far more than you do. Can you trust them with the Lord. And I would tell God, I said, God, I gotta have my phone here. The Lord said, get your phone away from you when you're reading the Bible. It's distracting. I said, God, I can't. I gotta have my phone here. And I was like, God, what if I'm reading the Bible and something happens to my dad? And the Lord, clear as day, said, you mean if something happens to your dad and you're with me, that's what you're concerned about? That you might be with me and something happens to your dad? Like, Daniel, where else would you want to be than with me? I can take care of your dad. And college students, the Lord will take care of your loved ones. That's why you can be free of worry about them. Because, man, there's some parents that are watching this too. They're like, I don't know how to stop worrying about my kids. That's hard, Daniel. It's easy for you to say. Well, I'll tell you, God cares more about your children than you do. But we got a lot of parents to watch this live stream. Aren't y'all grateful that they tune in? Guys, God cares about your children even more than you do. That's why you can stop worrying about them. That's what Peter says. He said, it's because God cares that you can stop worrying. It's not just that God has all the answers. It's not just that God has all the ability. It's that God cares. It's that God's love and care is the answer to you stopping worrying over you and the people in your life. Your future spouse, God cares about them more than you do. So please hear me before I move on. Whatever worry you have, even if it's a good righteous worry, God can handle it. Cast it to him. Not only that, B, I'll give you another one. B, tear down the idol of it's my way or the highway. Ah. Damn, I don't like this. I like being in control. Anybody struggle with control issues, right? One person admitted it. I appreciate you. You were a real one for that. Everybody else was like, I'm not putting my hand up for that. That's kind of a control issue. <laughs> Peter says it's God who will exalt you at the proper time. Now, this is important. God is in charge of the exalting, and God is in charge of the timing. Understand that. That's what we learned about the nature of God. 
God is in control of the exalting, which means you don't have to live worried about exalting yourself, building your brand, building your name. God does the exalting, and it's on God's timing. Some of us, our greatest issue is that, man, we worship time, and we want time to worship us. I want to be married by this date. I want to have this career. I want to have all these things lined up. I want all these answers, but time doesn't work that way. What I love is I love these two scriptures out of Isaiah. They're all about trust. First one is Isaiah 41.10, my life verse, a verse that I live by. It says, do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be afraid, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will hold on to you with my righteous right hand. Aren't you grateful for that promise tonight? Not only that, though, Isaiah 45, verse 5 to 7 says this, I am the Lord, and there is no other. (laughs) It's so good. I am the Lord, and there is no other. There is no God but me. I will strengthen you, though you do not know me, so that all may know from the rising of the sun to its setting that there is no one but me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. I form light and create darkness. I make success and create disaster. I am the Lord who does all these things. Things. There's some idols we have to tear down. But not only that, number two, trust in the love and care of Jesus Christ. Number two, trust in the love and care of Jesus Christ. So not only number one, let me recap for a moment. Tear down the idol of worrying. There's a plethora of reasons why we don't have to worry, even when we think it's righteous worry. But number two, trust in the love and care of Jesus Christ. The great reality is, John 15, verse five says this, I am the vine, Jesus says, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. Let me give you a great theological lesson on what we can do in this world, college students, here it is. You can do nothing good without Jesus Christ, but with Jesus Christ, you can do so much good in this world. When you are operating from a place of being filled with the Spirit of God, you're in prayer, you're in the Word, you begin to have joy and you begin to know exactly what you're doing and why God has called you to do it. And you begin to see God cause miracles around you. I wanna ask you, have you ever seen somebody in your life get saved and you thought there was no way they would ever come to know Jesus Christ? Have you ever seen that happen? I pray you have. I have. A few times I've seen it happen. I was like, man, God saved them. I was like, that's real. God can save anybody if they will repent if they will repent, but there's nothing good that you can do apart from Jesus Christ. The sad part is for anybody in ministry, I'm speaking to a lot of people who do ministry, we try to operate without Jesus Christ. One of the most convicting quotes, and I'll end with this, comes from Charles Spurgeon. I want you to see this on the screen. I'm telling you, please do not miss this because this is so good. It says this, he who can do all things without Christ will end in doing nothing. The man who can preach without divine aid cannot preach at all. The woman who can teach a Bible class without Christ cannot teach a Bible class. Let's pause right there for a moment. This is Spurgeon talking here. How many times have we gone to do ministry and gone to do it without prayer? Do we really believe we can do God's work without God's power? Do we really believe we can operate from a place of of willpowering our way up the, the energy to do what only God can do? No, I love this last one. Human ability, let's keep it up for a moment. Human ability without the grace of God is only puffed up inability. (laughs) Isn't that crazy? Yeah, please, I saw some of you. Take a picture before I keep going. It's not over. Please take a picture because this Spurgeon quote is one of the best quotes I have ever heard, ever. Human ability without the grace of God is puffed up inability. It looks good, 
Man, it sure does look good. It tickles the ear, but it doesn't last. Anything that's going to last in our world has to be rooted in the Spirit of God, has to be rooted in Jesus Christ. There is no preaching if the Spirit is not involved. There is no teaching if the Spirit is not involved. So for anybody in here who's teaching, I want to challenge you. Do you pray with a dependence on God? Let me keep going. The next slide says this. Those of you who, apart from supernatural help, feel quite sufficient for any kind of holy service are miserably deluded. Don't you love that? Self-sufficiency is inefficiency. The fullness of self is a double emptiness. This is why, if I can park here, a lot of college students, and this is just as real as I can be, this is not on my notes, a lot of college students go retreat, they go be alone, their goal is to pray, but they don't spend a whole lot of time praying. Like we'll say, all right, I'm gonna go get away, I'm going for a drive, I'm gonna sit somewhere, 30 minutes, I'm just gonna pray, I'm gonna be with the Lord, and then if we're honest, we pray for like a minute or two, and then we just think for 28 minutes. I was there a few years ago, two years ago. I kept going to my place, my park, where I would go to pray, and I realized I would go out there, I would pray for 10 minutes, and I would just sit out there with my thoughts. God bless you. Sit out there with my thoughts for an hour. This is what I realized. I was getting God for 10 minutes, and I was getting me for an hour. I was going out there to get more of God, and I was getting more of me. Listen, the last thing Daniel needs is more Daniel. (laughs) Ask my wife. (laughs) The last thing I need is more of me. And that's what you're doing when prayer is not the focus. When we're just going out and we're just thinking and we're not actually focused on God, we are doubling up on flesh. We are doubling up on ourselves, And that's why you come back from a retreat and you don't feel any more filled up. As Spurgeon would say, you're double empty. (laughs) You went out there trying to find God and, and all you got was yourself. So hear me, it's a great action step with worry. When you retreat, when you take 30 minutes, when you take an hour, when you're in your car, don't just fill yourself up with your thoughts and your worries of the world. Fill yourself up with Jesus Christ. Fill yourself up with scripture. Put an audio tape on. Put the Bible app on. It, it literally will recite God's word for you through your speakers. You can sit there and listen to Romans chapter 8 every time you drive to work. But we act like we don't have that kind of access. I'm telling you, don't fill yourself up more. You Spurgeon keeps going. He says this. He who has no sense of his weakness has a weakness in his sense. I'm telling you, man, this, it's not scripture at all. But Spurgeon hit it on the head with this. He who has no sense of his weakness has a weakness in his sense. I do not believe that God ever fills a cup that was not empty or that he ever fills a man's mouth with his word while that man has his mouth full of his own words. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. Spurgeon. There is no good that you and I can do apart from Jesus Christ. Worrying is quite literally taking Jesus out of the equation and trying to do it ourselves. What would it look like for you if you brought the Lord into your thought process weekly? What would it happen if when the next time you start feeling overwhelmed and that worry begins to creep up on you, God bless you, if you gave it to God? That's why I love casting because casting, right, is so cool because it's this energetic kind of throw, right? To cast is a throw. It's not just handing it. Come here, Caleb. Because when I hand something to Caleb, right? When I hand something to Caleb, when I just give it to him, I can keep one hand on it and he has one hand and it's this tug of war, right? I still keep a grip on it. God says, that's how you're trying to do with your problems. You're trying to hand them to me and you've got one hand on it while I've got a hand on it and you keep trying to go. You know what has to happen in order for you to throw something? 
Both hands let go. Great catch, because that's my iPad. <laughs> you cannot cast something without both hands letting go. One of the reasons why you're so worried is because you got one hand on it. You haven't casted it, you're trying to hand it. Cast. It's literally a term of celebration. The last thing, thank you. <laughs> Not gonna throw it back. I'm just glad you didn't put it in your backpack. The last thing I'll tell you, I want to turn your attention to one final thing. Look at 1 Peter chapter 5. If you have the CSB version like I do, you have two cares. I want you to underline both. The first care and the second care. The first care is about you, Sam. Not just Sam. Gotta stop doing that. The first care is about our cares. The second care is about the care of God. In the Greek, those are two very, very different cares. What's very fascinating when you study this is that the first care that you see there is used in the sense of like wearing you out, Elizabeth. Like when it says casting your cares, it's saying like the things that are wearing you out, the things that are beating you up. Like it's this exhaustive, tiring, wearying thing that's just beating you up. But when it uses the word for the care of God, when it says because God cares for you, it's this image of a shepherd shepherding his sheep. It's this image it's used in other places in the Bible of God, watch this, caring for the poor. That's what it's using here when it says God cares for you. That it's like God caring for the poor, someone who's helpless, someone who's beaten up, someone who has nowhere to go. Cast all your cares that are worrying and stressing you out onto God and the number one reason why is because he cares for you. I wonder how many people in here feel poor not financially, but spiritually. I wonder how many of us in here, not in every area of your life, but in a lot of areas of your life, just feel tired, exhausted, and worn out because worries are beating you over the head. God gives you a great encouragement. God cares for you so much, so much that he doesn't just want you to hand him that which you're worried about. He's willing for you to throw it and cast it and get on with the life that he has paved out for you. Would you do that tonight? Whatever that is, would you cast that to God and trust that he will take it because he cares for you?